if you own high quality real estate in a high quality market like Los Angeles, the way that you lose is that you are forced to sell at an inopportune time. So what we do is we say, look, we're, the, the equity that the, the investors are signed up to hold these things permanently. So the investors are not going to call us up and say, hey, the market's down, we got to sell, right? Like that, no. Um, and we um, and we minimize the use or, or we use debt relatively conservatively so that the bank, so that we don't end up in a situation where we can't pay the loan and therefore the bank can force us to sell. So the whole business is sort of designed around not about, about avoiding those kind of catastrophes. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. This podcast is intended for free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and knowledge seekers. Join us as we discuss relevant financial topics, explore with guests their financial journeys, and engage with experts in industries such as space, media and entertainment, real estate, and many more. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. I am today's host, uh, Nathaniel Leach. This is my business partner, Dan Weiss. And we have our guest today, Moses Kagan. Tim is taking a well-deserved day off. So we have Moses here. And he prefers to be known as the guy who buys, renovates, and manages real estate in Los Angeles. Short and sweet. I like it. So Moses, uh, I, I first heard you on Bill Brewster's Business Brew bod- podcast on February 11th of last year. And my mind was literally, as, as you were going through your life story and what you do today, and I immediately uh, shared your podcast with Dan and the rest of the LBW crew. And I was saying, guys, this guy knows what he's talking about. You should Thank talk you. to him. Thank you. <laughs> and it just roller coastered from there. And then uh, a year later, we're, we're talking to you on our podcast. So thank you for being with us here today. It's my pleasure. And I remember recording that with Bill and uh, walking out of it feeling like I had just left like an intensive therapy session. <laughs> so I was like sweating and, and like all like drained. And my wife uh, was like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I was like, well, I just recorded a podcast. It was really strange. It turned out great. And uh, I'm really, you know, really proud of it. So thank you for, for mentioning it. Yes, sir. Great podcast. So with that, I'm just gonna lead right into a very general outline that we prepared and uh, we'll just see where it goes today. What do you do today? And can you describe your journey about how you got there? Sure. Well, the first part's easy. Uh, uh, I'm a partner at Adaptive Realty, which is a boutique real estate private equity firm here in Los Angeles. Um, We have been buying and renovating apartment buildings uh, for the last, well, 10 years at Adaptive and another uh, four or so years before that at a predecessor firm. So um, uh, really just just buying, fixing up and managing apartment buildings in about, I don't know, maybe it's like eight or nine neighborhoods in Los Angeles at this point. Um, To give everyone a a sense of size, and um, we, I think we own 
right now probably 215 million dollars worth of apartment buildings and uh, which is like roughly 50 buildings um, and then we manage another 60 or so buildings on behalf of third-party investors um, for people who are uh, not familiar with the real estate business that those sound like big numbers but we're actually um, like a minnow in the real estate private equity world just to just to give everyone a sense for, for relative scale. Gotcha. And, and how did you come to be in the position that you are today? Maybe, I mean, if you want to go back to birth, if you want to go back to <laughs> high school, everybody has their own separate yeah. starting point that works yeah. best for them. What, sure. what works for you? Um, I'll start out by saying that um, my, my um, parents, my, we're a little bit of a real estate family, but definitely like not on a big scale. Um, I grew up, my parents probably owned, you know, a maximum of maybe 10 units. I mean, they, you know, they, every once in a while they would buy or sell a building, but you know, so we had, we'd like maybe 10 or 12 apartments, uh, when I was growing up and this is really like not a professional operation, uh, all self-managed. Um, my mom would do the books and my dad would do the, actually a lot of the repairs, um, uh, and the leasing and, and that kind of stuff. What, you know, we used to, um, when there were snow days, my brother and I would have to go shovel. Um, this is in upstate New York. So that we, that, you know, snow days. It's not Los Angeles. It's not Los Angeles. <laughs> um, so anyway, so th this was a little bit like, it, um, this was a little bit in, in my blood or at least in my, in my background uh, growing up. And then um, in 2007, when there was the real estate mania in Los Angeles, um, uh, my brother and I were looking to buy a two-family home, a duplex. Uh, he would live on one side and I would live on the other because that's what everyone was doing. And the numbers were insane on all of those because this is like before the crash. So like the, the numbers were like utterly detached from um, reality. But my brother stumbled across a guy who had renovated a 16-unit building and then ran out of money right at the end before he could uh, lease it. So he was willing to sell it to us at a reasonable price. And uh, my parents put up the dough. It was, it's a longer story, but that money came from a building that my great-grandfather owned and, and it kind of worked its way down the family tree. Um, uh, we bought that building, finished the renovations, tenanted it up, uh, and then the world fell apart and real estate went on sale. And, uh, and then uh, we got the opportunity to start buying stuff and was fortunate to have a friend who, um, who was willing to capitalize us to do our first set of deals and did them and made a ton of mistakes and <laughs> learned a lot and screwed a lot up and got bailed out by the fact that the market, we were sort of buying at a bottom. So the market uh, uh, bailed us out of a lot of dumb, dumb stuff that we did. Um, and then, uh, and that kind of eventually, and we can talk more specifically if you want, but that's, that's, that's how we got started. Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of specifics uh, do you have on that? That'd be great. Yeah. I mean, so we did with my friend's money, we did deals two through 12, I think. And that was a mix of flipping some single family homes and fixing up some fourplexes. And then we did a couple of 16 unit buildings and everything in between, um, and uh, we sold those buildings in 2012. My, my friend who had put up all the dough was like, okay, like we, you know, uh, we made some money, time to take some winnings off the table. 
So we sold in 2012, which was heartbreaking to me. I mean, I, you know, if we had held those, I would have made a lot of money. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so in 2012, um, my, uh, I, I, we had hired, my brother and I were doing business together at that point. We no longer work together. Love my brother, but we're, you know, not good business partners. Um, uh, so in 2012, a guy, uh, John, who had been working for my brother and I had been like a junior partner, he and I went into business uh, as adaptive realty. And um, from there, we started with zero capital and um, uh, we had, I guess we had 40 or so units that we had uh, under prop, under management. Um, one, that original building that my brother and I still own to this day, and then a couple of other ones that uh, from, from some people who we had got to know. And uh, we just started building. And um, we now manage uh, 800 apartments or so. Um, and we went from owning zero to owning 50. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's been a kind of a crazy ride over the last 10 years. Uh, learned a lot, built an organization. Um, uh, came to some fairly unique observations about owning real estate and in general and in Los Angeles and California and in, in, in particular. And, uh, and here we are. So I, I'd like to hit some pieces there that you talked about. Um, I'd like to come back to the LA market specifically, especially. Um, but before we get there, could you maybe go into more detail about uh, you said you started from zero capital, but now you're you're dealing with a lot more capital. Obviously, can you maybe speak about your your structure? What does adaptive realty yeah. consist like? How how does that work? Sure. Yeah, let's so let's talk really uh, before talking about adaptive. Let's just talk about like what real estate private equity is. Um, so real estate private equity is basically buying uh, real estate with other people's money. Now, almost all real estate is purchased with debt from a bank. Um, but what I'm talking, when I say other people's money, what I mainly mean is other people's cash, other people's equity. Um, and um, there are, you know, there's a number of different ways to structure it, but fundamentally what real estate private equity is, is um, an operator like me, a GP, a general partner, um, or a deal sponsor, there's a number of different terms for it, um, uh, identifies a deal that for whatever reason uh, he or she thinks makes sense. Like it's a beat up old building, you're gonna renovate it, or maybe, um, maybe it doesn't need renovations, it just needs operational improvements. There's, for whatever reason, it's a building that, that the GP wants to own. And the GP then goes around and uh, raises money from uh, passive investors, also called LPs, limited partners. Uh, and um, there, there are some you know, legal docs that, that describe the relationship between the GP and the LPs and, and how the money is split up and who gets paid when and all that stuff. Uh, the LP, everyone signs up. Uh, the LPs send their money to the GP. The GP sends uh, the money into escrow along with the bank's money usually uh, for the loan. And then this part, new partnership then owns the building. And so that's what we've done um, in various configurations uh, with different partners, with different business plans, but all in Los Angeles and all apartments, um, you know, from, from the very beginning. So that's, and that's, so that's what we're doing. And it, and it, the strategy sometimes changes um, who the investors are, how large the checks are, um, what we plan to do with the building sometimes changes, but it's fundamentally an exercise in, 
the operator, the GP um, uh, is gonna do the work, is gonna provide like, let's say the intellectual capital and the sweat and the limited and a little bit of actual capital money. And the, uh, the limited partners are going to kind of rely on the GP to be smart and trustworthy and, uh, and energetic and uh, are gonna contribute their capital. And hopefully uh, the GP is able to return the LP's capital with, with the returns that, that, that they expect. And then the GP gets to participate in that upside as well. And from our past conversations, you have made mention about this, uh, this ratio of equi equity to debt. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes you guys do things a little bit more differently than the average uh, private equity real estate investor. Can oh, you yeah. speak to that more? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, um, the, to understand why we're different, let's talk about what like a standard real estate private equity deal looks like. So um, standard real estate private equity is like buy a building, fix it up, sell it as, as quickly as possible. Um, and um, we can get into why that is, but it, it, there's some cultural reasons. There has to do with how the, the deals are struck between the LPs and the GP and all that kind of stuff. But suffice it to say that standard real estate private equity 101 is you're trying to maximize uh, a metric called uh, internal rate of return, so I IRR. And um, IRR uh, penalizes you for holding uh, the, the, in other words, the longer it takes between when you buy and when you sell, the worse your IRR is. And it also penalizes you for using a lot of equity. In other words, the more debt you use, the better your IRR will be. And so that, that IRR number, like people are trying to maximize that IRR number. And that, so that drives a lot of like short-term thinking, you know, I want to buy and sell quickly. Um, and it, and it uh, drives uh, the use of a lot of debt. Okay, we, for a variety of reasons, which uh, we can get into, just totally reject that kind of thinking. Um, we have never quoted uh, an IRR to any prospective investor for the entire time that we've been doing uh, business as Adaptive Realty. Um, all of our deals are either formally or at least sort of um, morally intended to be permanent. In other words, we're not, there's no buying and quickly selling. Um, and because we're not focused on IRR, um, we, uh, we are able to be, um, in my, what is in my opinion, much more sensible about debt. We don't use high leverage bridge loans. We're not, um, you know, we're not, we're not trying to minimize the amount of cash we use. And the reason is very simple. If you own high quality real estate in a high quality market like Los Angeles, the way that you lose is that you are forced to sell at an inopportune time, okay? As long as things come up, things go down, like that's, that's part of it. But over the last, whatever it's been, like a hundred years in Southern California, if you just hold on, you'll do great. The problem is that um, if you are capitalized in a manner that forces you to sell during our periodic crashes, that then, then obviously you can, you, can, you can lose everyone's money. So what we do is we say, look, we're, the, the equity that the, the investors are signed up to hold these things permanently. So the investors are not gonna call us up and say, hey, the market's down, we gotta sell, right? Like that, no. Um, and we, um, 
and we minimize the use or, or we use debt relatively conservatively so that the bank so that we don't end up in a situation where we can't pay the loan and therefore the bank can force us to sell. So the whole business is sort of designed around not about, about avoiding those kind of catastrophes. Um, so that and that I mean uh, to someone who doesn't is not in the real estate private equity business, um, what I just said like you know they don't it's kind of they don't have context necessarily to evaluate it. For someone who is in the real estate private equity business, what I'm saying is like insane. They're like, what do you like? <laughs> what do you mean you don't sell? What do you mean you don't maximize debt? And the reason they're saying that is because um, as a as a GP. Your gen the, the, the structure of the deal is such that you don't really participate in the profits and um, uh, or it takes a very long time to participate in the profits if you don't sell. And so we have built a career in some sense by saying we are willing to just take the long view. We don't care if it takes us seven or 10 years or whatever to, uh, to get paid on these deals. Like I'm gonna be, I'll, I'll be doing this business for the rest of my career. Hopefully one of my kids will do it. I'm not in a rush. And so that because, because we're not in a rush, it allows us to do things very differently. Well said. Like highlight that whole section. Cause that, that is actually really for the, for people who aren't familiar with this, that is actually very, very different. Moses is not exaggerating there. Typically speaking, we see people that will hold the deal for, three to maybe if you're lucky, like 10 years and then out. Um, and that's absolutely the by far common way that we see this done, um, which leads it, which leads me. In, and also, by the way, uh, and we could probably have a whole conversation. So we won't just on the whole leverage piece uh, because that also is very different. And in the last decade, decade and a half, uh, rates have been real low. It's really easy for people to get over over you over leverage, and now uh, that may be a very different tune changing, and, yep. and we'll see. My guess is different results uh, from that. So, nonetheless, you know, I, 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 I do want to say, Dan, before we go on, um, the um, the environment in which we found ourselves over the last ten years. Um, has been very friendly to people who have used a lot of debt. <laughs> um, it's um, and so what I'm, I don't want to be sitting here claiming that what we have done has been the optimal thing. Like if I could replay history, knowing what I know now about how things turned out, I should have just bought the biggest buildings I could find with the most debt I could possibly find, and that would have been the way to do it. Um, the problem is that, you know, as Howard Marks and others say, like we live in one of an infinite number of possible universes. And so there was no guarantee that the last 10 years were going to we're going to unfold the way that they did. And uh, I'm not the kind of person who wants to call investors up and tell them I lost their money. No. So for me, uh, the uh, uh, I don't necessarily need to do the optimal thing. From a from a pure return maximization perspective, I'm looking to protect the downside. And so, and and so that that whole segment right there makes me think one. And I'm guessing now you probably have this under underway, but probably at first ten years ago, was it? What was your experience of finding investors accustomed to this different way of investing in private real estate? 
<laughs> thinking in terms of being more permanent that had to be very difficult Moses oh yeah I like I, I have this like vivid rec recollection of somehow getting on the phone with like a, a family office and I started to pitch some deal and the guy was like what's the IRR and I'm like I don't know. We don't. We don't. Uh, we don't. We don't quote IRRs. We don't think about things in terms of projecting some future sale price. The guy like, <laughs> like just, <laughs> just straight out hung up on me basically. Um, so I, uh, I. So the answer is it was really hard. Um, and um, our our original investors at Adaptive were um, really close friends and family. And to be honest, like you know, whether they were investing because they liked the idea or whether they just trusted me. I mean, probably it's mostly trusted me. I mean, you'd be amazed at how few people actually read the docs. Um, you know, they're just like, we've known you since you were a kid. We think you're smart and honest. Like if you're doing it, it seems. And by the way, like that's, um, I've invested a bunch of my own personal capital in that way with my friends and like startups and funds and stuff. And like, I've done very well by picking out friends who I just trust. And even if I don't know or particularly like what they're doing, that has turned out for me to be actually a pretty good investment strategy. Um, but uh, as you can imagine, the, the, I'm not like, um, you probably tell, I'm not like a country club person. Uh, my family was not like particularly rich growing up or anything. So um, that the friends and family were quite limited in terms of um, the amount of firepower that they could give us. Um, we got very lucky early on um, that uh, our CPA hooked us up with a, uh, what I didn't understand how wealthy these people were, um, but, uh, you know, I just was looking for investors and the CPA said, let me, I, you know, let me introduce you to these guys and like, you know, we'll see if it works out. And, um, you know, I pitched the business, uh, the business model to, 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 the, to this guy and he was like, um, if you want a couple of hundred K, I'll just write the check for you right now. But if you want a material amount of money, uh, we're going to have to negotiate the docs. And I said, what's material? And he said, we'll match all of the dollars put up by all of your friends and family. <laughs> so I said, we will negotiate the docs. <laughs> um, and, uh, and fortunately, they were very fair with us in the negotiation. And that led to, we, we have a very long, we've done a lot of, a lot of business with that family. And that, so that was, that was, that's, and, and I learned a lot from them. That's a third generation California real estate family who has made an absolute fortune by basically buying good stuff, not being levered, investing counter cyclically, like all the stuff that, that we have learned to do. Uh, a, a very large part of that was, was sort of seeing what that snowball looks like three generations down the road. Like if you just do good stuff, don't take a shitload of risk, you know, uh, you know, manage it prudently, this stuff compounds. And if it, and if you get a couple of good generations in a row, it can compound to insane numbers, but that wasn't enough. I mean, I still, um, we still needed more capital. And so I started writing a blog. Um, I didn't know how to, I, I wasn't like, uh, I didn't like have golfing buddies to go to or whatever. So, um, but I realized pretty early on, and we can talk more about this if you want, that content marketing was a really good strategy for meeting investors. And so I wrote a blog every day. It's still there, kagansblog.com. I wrote a blog every day for like, I don't know, five or six years 
all about our experience of buying and renovating and managing apartment buildings, giving away a lot of our secrets, to be honest, and spawning a lot of competition, but also attracting a lot of, uh, a lot of investors. And then later on, uh, a few years ago, I discovered Twitter and basically replicated that uh, same pattern of writing every day. And that has created a large audience for us and, 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 and obviously exploded our access to capital. That's, <laughs> I love to hear how you, uh, you basically bucked the trend, the, the, the cultural trend within private equity, real estate investors, and they're saying you're insane. <laughs> it's just classic. Well, you, I mean, the, one of the things to know about this business is that it is fundamentally an ap- apprenticeship business. Like you either learn how to do real estate, private equity from working for someone else, or like often it's working for your dad. Right. And so, uh, my dad's not in real estate, private equity, and I never worked at another real estate company. So everything that we do from um, the kind of like, let's say high level strategy that we just talked about down to um, the specifics, uh, the specific tactics about like what we do to a building when we renovate it or manage it or, or how we do things uh, was not learned in other places. And that meant that we made a lot of mistakes because we we didn't we were just making it up as we went along, but it was just some smart people thinking carefully about solving problems and just solving them in the best way that we could think to solve them, and then iterating. And the result was a highly differentiated way of thinking about the world. I can relate to that. We, Dan <laughs> yeah, and I can, can relate to that. So uh, I, I mentioned earlier about, I'd like to talk more about LA. So what led you to developing your niche in LA's real estate market? What drew you to LA besides the great weather? So I want to first start out by saying that. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.